Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Hi. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Well, that was a little more stressful than it needed to be. Ooh, that looked like a nice little walk in the park for a little bit, but it turned out to be a nail-biter. But thankfully, the Jets took care of business in the end Monday night, holding off the last-place Senators 4-3 for a big win to stay in the mix for first in the North Division as well as home ice advantage come playoff time. So we'll break that one down in just a bit. Plus the trade deadline is almost here. It's creeping up so damn fast. So we got to take a look at new names that might be up for grabs. The playoff race in the NHL in the other divisions has really shaken up who might be available. So some interesting names too that I think Kevin Chevalier just might target before April 12th, but first. A tradition unlike any other. Hello friends, I'm Brandon Rewicki, and welcome to the Masters. That's right, it's everyone's favorite tourney of the year. The golfers are in Augusta, Georgia to compete for the coveted jacket. I'm jacked, it's my favorite time of the year. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you in the center of the action by giving you a shot to land in the green. This week, DraftKings is giving you a free shot at the $1 million top prize when you download and sign up using promo code THPN. If you haven't tried DraftKings, this is the time. It's super easy to play. Stay under the salary cap like always. You pick six golfers. And submit your lineup before the big tourney tees off early Thursday morning. And then it's over. You just sit back and follow the action. The more red numbers on the leaderboard, the closer you get to winning that green. Rack up points for pars, birdies, finishing position, a whole bunch more. And even though you may not be able to hit the course with the pros, DraftKings is giving you the chance to scratch that competitive itch and reign supreme. So, download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at the $1 million top prize. That's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at the $1 million top prize only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. 
See DraftKings.com for details. Let me know your picks, too, for the Masters. Hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rowicki. This is my favorite time of the year. It's it's one of my absolute favorite sporting moments, sporting events. And it's probably number one on my bucket list right now of things I want to do. I've never been to Augusta. I would love to get the chance to see the Masters in person. So this is always my favorite time of the year. I think my pick, the guy I'm going with to win, I'm done betting on Rory McIlroy. He's cost me enough money. Maybe he gets it done eventually. I think it's still too much in his head. But I'm going with John Rahm. I'm going with the fiery Spaniard. Maybe it's because I've packed on the LBs and our bodies, unfortunately, resemble each other a little bit too much. I used to be able to make fun of him. Now I I look like him. I resemble my remarks. (laughs) But I think he's due. I, I love his game. We both have tempers, too. We really share a lot in common, me and John Rahm. Uh, so I think, and he's played well at Augusta as well. So I, I think I'm going to go with him. Everyone's on speed because he's, I guess, playing well. He's, yeah, he is. I'm not a big speed fan. He is playing well, coming off a win. I'm not going to go there. I don't think it's just so tough to go back-to-back at Augusta. So I'm not going with DJ either. But I like John Rahm. And you know what? A little bit of a homer pick. But my long shot... I'm actually going with Corey Connors. I think Corey Connors can do some damage this weekend. And he's playing. I mean, he's been close. He was close at Bay Hill. He was close at the TPC as well. And a T10 last year at Augusta. So I'm actually going to pick him to finish in the top 10 as well. But if I had to go with somebody far away, kind of out of left field, I think I'm going to go with the Canadian Corey Connors. So hopefully he has himself a beauty of a weekend as well. And just remember, get in on DraftKings as well. That's a big opportunity, an easy way to potentially walk away with a ton of money as well. And we can compare teams on top of it. All right, enough golf as much as I love it. You're here for hockey. Jets sends. You know, I hate games like this when you're in the Jets position because it's basically a lose-lose no matter what happens. Lose, you literally lose. And it's awful because you're giving up freebie points. But even win, and it's just like, yeah, that's what you were supposed to do anyways. So I'm not going to criticize this one a whole bunch. The Jets did what they had to do, which was win. And to be totally fair, too, they absolutely dominated at even strength the Senators for pretty much the whole game until the latter part of the third period when the Jets thought at least that the game was out of reach. So, yeah, you give up some late goals, but... I mean, they also held the fort down late, which is a concern for this team. So all in all, I think a a solid effort. I mean, you put 50 shots up, essentially, on the shot clock. You're obviously doing something right in that game. So bare minimum, you got the two points against the crappiest team in the division. You move on. And really, thankfully, the Jets haven't, uh, you know, pulled the Calgary Flames when they faced the Ottawa Senators this season. I I don't think the Flames have a winning record against Ottawa. The Jets, for the most part, outside of that one disaster game that we might have to mention in in just a little bit here, have grabbed pretty much everything from the Senators. So that's been a huge part in them sticking with Toronto and and right there with Edmonton near the top of the division. So that's great. Now, a couple things stood out to me in the game. One early, one late. Early on and throughout the game as well, as things progressed, to me, it was super noticeable that the Jets were just wicked aggressive when it came to their defensemen. Just pinching in the offensive zone, 
stepping up in the neutral zone and also activating from the defensive zone into the rush as well. That's something that I've picked up on over the last couple of weeks that the Jets are getting you know, more and more aggressive in doing. I just think that's when the Jets are at their best. It's another layer of attack. It makes them really hard to contain, especially with what you have up front. And it's something that, you know, the Jets used to do regularly. But Paul Maurice really pulled the reins back, I guess going back to two seasons ago. It's something they didn't do at all last year after losing Buff and Truba, etc. But I've always been of the belief that safe is death. You know, that's the one thing that me and John Tortorella probably agree on. The one thing. So go full bore at it, man. Just unleash. And I thought that was great to see. And the Jets have the horses to do it, right? Like, I mean, Josh Morrissey is great at jumping in. Neil Pionk clearly is is great and, and more than adept at, at finding ways to, to be aggressive and pick his spots there. And even Tucker Pullman as well, I think, does a great job of that. And, and he gets really aggressive. He goes really deep into the offensive zone on some of those rushes as well. So, hey, let, let the boys play a little bit there when it comes to that, right? Be aggressive. And, and I love seeing the Jets pinch in the offensive zone as much as they did in that game against the Senators specifically. And on top of that, the Jets forwards did a great job of covering up behind them. So, you know, not really leaving yourself to any kind of counterattack or things like that. I just thought the Jets, to, to me, that's their recipe for success. Don't be afraid of what the other team's going to do to you. Go out and kind of force your will and exert your will on your opposition. Now, late, I mentioned this, I think, the last time the Jets played Ottawa, actually. That was the infamous last-second loss game a little while ago. It also came right around when the Oilers had an actual buzzer beater in regulation against Winnipeg. So there was a ton of, you know, consternation at the time. But I wondered if and when Paul Maurice would change who he threw out there first with the chance to close out games. And I'm talking about the forwards here. This has been a problem for a number of years. A lot of people obviously unhappy that, you know, Shifley and Wheeler, always the first choice options going over. Well, it actually changed in this one. And it might be the first time at least I've noticed Paul Maurice opt to go with a different set of forwards to close the game out. As Ottawa pulled Forsberg, you have the extra man advantage. It was the Lowry line out there to protect the lead. Something I pushed for back then when I asked you guys, and, and let me know if you if you think differently or if this is the way to go. I thought, what is the ideal lineup to close out a game? I said Adam Lowry's line. And that's what we saw in action. And not much of a surprise... But with their two best defensive forwards out there, the Jets were great protecting the lead and didn't give Ottawa a whole lot. They thwarted a couple of entries, cleared the puck out, and actually got a quick change in on top of it. So that was great to see. We'll check in on this as we move forward and just keep an eye on it as well if Paul Maurice really leans towards putting Adam Lowry's line out there first and foremost, trying to protect those leads with the goalie pulled. There's really no reason not to do it, though, right? I mean, Paul Maurice calls them their checking line, so go ahead and let them check. So I like that, and I think that's something that should. And I I think it will continue for Winnipeg here. I mean, Adam Lowry's just having a hell of a season. And I just, again, see no reason why you wouldn't have him out there as the guy. He is your shutdown guy. 
And he did a great job in that one as the Jets avoided the ultimate embarrassment of giving up three straight goals to the Senators and, and possibly losing a backbreaker in OT. That's it for the game against the Sens. A big one coming up, and we'll get to that at the end of this episode. A kind of sneaky, important two-game series for the Jets, which starts on Thursday night as they head back on the road. We'll break that one down coming up on Friday's episode. But one more thing I do want to get to here, and, and we'll spend a decent amount of time on it here before we leave for the night. The trade deadline is getting closer and closer and closer. If I'm not mistaken, we're what, a week away? I I think we're exactly a week away right now. So it really is crunch time. And you do wonder a little bit, you know, now that the quarantine for any player coming into Winnipeg or Canada in general is only seven days, you know, is there an internal trade deadline for Chevy and some of these other GMs that I want to get a guy in right now so we're not waiting until, you know, the last handful of games in the season before they feel somewhat comfortable with the team. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. But there's been a ton of change, really, over the past two, three weeks. You know, kind of when TSN puts out their their trade bait board and, and we see, you know, a whole bunch of other publications do the same thing. And Matthias Ekholm was kind of the, the bell of the ball at the time. And it seemed like a foregone conclusion that he was going to be moved out of Nashville as they maybe took a step towards rebuilding. Nashville's gone on an absolute heater as of late, and they actually hold the last playoff spot in the, is it the East of, whatever, in that division with the the Florida teams in Carolina. So there's been some talk that maybe he's being pulled off the board as well. Columbus has kind of fallen out of the race, so David Savard looks like that's probably a for sure move. But some other teams, right? I mean, I know... Murata Tej of The Athletic mentioned Alex Goligoski as a potential candidate. But now Arizona's climbed into a playoff spot in the West Division, right? So there's been a ton of movement where some teams that maybe were looking to ship some guys out aren't willing to do so anymore. And some teams that have fallen out of the race might become sellers as of right now. It's just it's something really interesting to keep an eye on here. And we'll see if the Jets can maybe take advantage of any of those teams. But here's my thoughts on where the Jets stand a week away from the NHL trade deadline. I'm still all in for Echo. And I think Kevin Chivaldayoff is too, to be honest. And Chevy may be waiting to see how Nashville does in their next few games before deciding on whether or not that's a move that really should be pursued full bore. But Ekholm, to me, still checks off all the boxes. And I think he's the only defenseman that does that, that's available right now on the trade market. I just don't really see another guy bringing to the table what Matthias Ekholm can do. It, and, and look, I know Chevy has a type that he's looking for right now, and that is, you know, maybe first and foremost, just big, right? Clearly the Jets are unwilling to put Morrissey and DeMello together as their top pairing, even though I think it's their best option as of right now. I think they feel like there is a legitimate size disadvantage that's going to hurt them come playoff time and that might be true I personally would like to see them get a stretch of games to kind of allow themselves to prove whether or not that's going to work but it's clear that that's what they're thinking is right both Paul Maurice and Kevin Sheveldayoff seem to be you know in simpatico with this one that they need to get a guy with size and somebody that's very strong defensively 
And Ekholm not only fits that bill, but I think he fits the most important bill of all, which is he can move the puck as well. And that's what I think is missing in a big way on that top pairing with Josh Morrissey is he just needs some help, maybe needs to be the support guy in terms of having somebody beside him who is more willing to make that first pass out of the zone, to carry the puck and join the rush. And and Josh Morrissey can kind of play, you know, a bit of a supplementary role in that regard. And I just think Ekholm does that better, clearly better than anybody else. But I think he's the only one that has all of those attributes all in one here. So I, I'm still I'm still kind of holding out hope here that that is the, the potential blockbuster that Winnipeg can make a move on. I'm shocked as well that it sounds, I mean, it's always tough. You know, teams throw up smoke screens all the time during this period. But it sure does sound like Nashville has kind of pulled Ekholm off the board here, right? That they feel like, you know, we're in a playoff spot here. Chicago, no one really expected them to be in the spot that they're in. So maybe they don't fear Chicago overtaking them for that final playoff spot. But it does sound like David Poyle wants to give it another go with with that unit, with that group. I just don't get that at all. I, You know, if you were thinking a couple weeks ago that, you know, this is basically it for our core. We need to make a move and, and start to build towards the future. I don't know why two weeks of of good results, at the very least, would have you completely do a 180 on that. That, that to me, just makes no sense whatsoever. I would be furious if the Jets were in that position and, and that's what they were starting to lean towards, that, you know what, let's just go for it in the short term and, and we'll figure it out the rest as we move forward here. On top of that, too... Even if Nashville does squeak into the playoffs, and it does look like they would squeak in at this point, you're going to you know, potentially lose out on the assets that Ekholm would give your organization to, to what? Get absolutely ass-kicked by the Tampa Bay Lightning in round one? Or the Carolina Hurricanes? The absolute analytics juggernauts, right? Like, I just, to me, there's no way Nashville beats either of those teams, let alone wins multiple series against you know, the Lightning, the Hurricanes, and, and even the Florida Panthers right now. So I personally think it's crazy talk that the Nashville Predators are, are thinking that they're just going to hold court. So we'll see how that plays out for the Preds over their next couple of games before the deadline as well. But I don't have a problem with any of the potential blowbacks of an Ekholm deal. To me, the expansion draft, that's a non-concern. I, I don't even... <laughs> I honestly don't even think about the expansion draft when it comes to acquiring any kind of top four defenseman, any kind of defenseman that's going to help the Jets out right now that could potentially have term. We've mentioned this before. If an Ekholm or if somebody else comes in with term, who are you losing at that point? One of your third pair defensemen, right? I mean, and I think Dylan DeMello is more than that, but that's what we're talking about here. Like he would be on the third pair in that situation. Logan Stanley, as great of a season as he's had, and as much as that would suck to lose him, is a third-pair defenseman right now. I'm willing to lose that if it means the Jets have a potential shot at coming out of the North Division and potentially winning the Stanley Cup. Let's just stick with coming out of the North Division first, though. So the, the expansion draft, honestly, don't care. Not thinking about it. I might be the only one that has that way, way, way at the back of the line, but... That's 100% where I'm at when it comes to that. And the asking price still doesn't seem too severe to me. I mean, there have been 
some bizarre trade proposals I've seen from the Athletic and and some other places as well. I, I think Pierre LeBrun had you know one NHL executive saying a first round pick and Vili Hainala and then something else on top of that. That's that that's just not happening first and foremost. I mean Kevin Shoveldayoff is not doing that, nor should he. Vili Hainala to me is completely off the table. I think Dylan Sandberg is off the table as well, but. As, as hefty as a price as it might be, to me, the start point of a deal is a first-round pick, obviously. Christian Veselainen going the other way to Nashville. If it was Logan Stanley, I'm I'm okay with that as much as that would hurt the Jets potentially down the road. Or a Declan Chisholm as well. To me, that's basically right in line with what the Maple Leafs gave up in that trade for Jake Muzzin a couple seasons ago. If anything, it might be... Less than what the Jets are giving up, right? You're talking about two former first-round picks as well as a first-round pick. So I, I think that's a completely fair trade. And if that was the price, you know, there's going to be some Jets fans that don't like giving up that much. But I'm 100% on board for that. I just don't know how much more time with Wheeler's play and contract coming into question over the next couple of years, Hellebuck, Shifley, Ehlers, like there's a ton of contracts that are coming up soon. It does feel like the time is now for this team to make an aggressive move and really, really, really go for it. So that's the dream scenario for me. If not Ekholm, then who? And and that's a really intriguing question because even if it is foolish for Nashville to you know, continue to make a playoff run this season, they very well might do that. And then the Jets are are left with very few options when it comes to upper echelon defensemen. I mean, there's no secret here that the Jets are heavy in on David Savard. That That's really, really clear. Boston's in. Maybe Philly as well. Maybe, but not as much as they might have been a couple weeks ago. But there's going to be competition for Savard's services. I Again, some crazy proposals are coming out there right now. I don't think a first-round pick is worth it. If... Yarmo Kekalainen comes to Kevin Day off and says, or, you know, comes to me, <laughs> for example, and says, take it or leave it, a first-round pick, that's it for David Savard. If not, we don't have a deal. I don't make that trade. I don't think David Savard is worth a first-round pick as a upcoming rental, upcoming UFA. To me, that's that screams second-round pick. Maybe some kind of mid-to-lower-level prospect, but... There's just no way you can convince me that David Savard is worth a first round. I, yeah, I, I don't see it. And he's not having a great season either in Columbus right now. Not a lot of Blue Jackets are, to be honest. So it's not like his play is necessitating. You know what? You have, you might have to give up a little more than you would be accustomed to in a trade for a David Savard. So I'm stopping at second round pick. And, and I might be alone in this, but I'm still not convinced he's the best fit for Josh Morrissey on that top pairing. Like I mentioned a hundred times, it feels like right now, I want somebody with a little more puck-moving capability, somebody that can help Josh Morrissey out in that regard. I don't think David Savard is that player. Having said that, though, David Savard is tremendous defensively. Immediately, he becomes the Jets' best defenseman in their own half of the ice. Penalty kill as well. He's absolutely a standout player in that regard as well. So I told, like I, I totally get the allure of David Savard. And as much as I do have some question marks about whether or not it's going to fit, I'm okay with, you know, taking a bit of a gamble 
if it's just a second round pick. A first round pick, though, I'm not in on that. Let me know on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki what you guys think. And, and maybe for Friday's episode, too, we'll get your best David Savard trade proposals and see if we can get a bit of a consensus on what you guys think it would take to grab David Savard out of Columbus. Now, if not David Savard, then who? And, and really, I mean, to be honest, Ekholm Savard are the two, I would say, the preferred options, the two higher-end options when it comes to defensemen on the trade market. You know, I, Anaheim's a bit of a tricky one to deal with. They have Hampus Lindholm signed for a decent amount of time still moving forward. And then Josh Manson, I believe, has this year and one more on his contract. I know the Jets have, have loved Josh Manson for a long time. And he fits a lot of the bills that we just talked about with David Savard. I'd be intrigued to see what the cost is on Josh Manson. But that's not something that I would, you know, jump into the deep end on just yet. I, I would need to know what's what's going to have to go back the other way. It might still end up being a bit too pricey for me on that one. Lindholm, I would love. That would be a great deal. I don't really see Anaheim giving up on Hampus Lindholm, though. Even though they're kind of in this rebuilding mode i think he's a guy that they want to hold on to and eventually kind of you know drag some of the youngsters through there so i i'll i'll take a bit of a pause on the ducks because they're a bit of a they're just a bit of an unknown for me at this time but manson does intrigue me a little bit now it's funny because to me i really have only two other defensemen at this point that i would be intrigued in if you're going to strike out on ekholm and savard and any other unknown, no doubt about a top four defenseman. At this point, we're kind of bargain diving and and maybe trying to find a diamond in the rough sort of a deal. Mike Verley out of Ottawa has you know great underlying numbers this year, but he's a left shot defenseman. I don't know if you want to have Josh Morrissey play his offside or not. So I'm I'm gonna push away Mike Riley for a second. You know, there's some other names as well. I, I saw Goodbrinson. No thanks. Please God, no thanks. Uh, a couple other players of that ilk. No one really moving the needle for me. If it's not Echo or Savard, shockingly enough, I might look towards Buffalo, to be honest. And their second pairing as it is right now, I'd be cool with grabbing either one of them, to be honest. And right now, that would be one of Brandon Montour or Colin Miller. Now, Montour is the easiest one out of the two because he's an upcoming UFA, so purely a rental decision here. Buffalo is clearly just going to sell anybody that that has an expiring contract here moving forward. So that's an easy move for them. They'll probably retain some of his 3.85 as well. And the Jets, I mean, I don't even think it's going to be a second-round pick. You might just be talking about a third. So the cost isn't going to be a huge amount there either. And I like Montour because, I mean, he could play both sides, but he does shoot right. So a natural fit on the right side. But he's got a little more offense in his game. And a super mobile defenseman as well. You know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but I don't hate the idea of putting Morrissey and Montour on a pairing together. And keep in mind as well, I know Montour hasn't had the easiest of times in Buffalo. No one has, to be totally fair too. But he was very highly touted coming out of Anaheim. And the Sabres thought enough of him to trade a first-round pick for him. If you can believe that with how the Sabres are where they are right now. So there, there is some potential and a lot of talent in Brandon Montour's game. That's a guy that I wouldn't mind the Jets taking a swing on. 
if the price is right and, and some of those big names didn't come back the other way. Now, Colin Miller, it, it's a little bit trickier, but he's a guy that I've liked for a long time now. And I thought he was going to fit you know, really well in Buffalo. He had a couple really strong seasons in Vegas as well. I mean, he's a guy that's had good underlying numbers leading up to his career in Buffalo. It's been a complete train wreck for him there. He hasn't, I mean, to be honest, just he hasn't been good. But he's an interesting reclamation project. The, the tricky part, though, is $3.875 million cap hit for this year and next. So I don't even mind necessarily putting them up in the expansion draft, right? And if Seattle wants to take a crack at him, then, then go right ahead. And he's basically been a rental for you. But if he doesn't work out, then you have that on the books next year. And that's not the most ideal situation Winnipeg could find themselves in. So that one comes with a fair amount of risk there. I would be intrigued, though, to see if Buffalo would basically be willing to give Colin Miller up for free, right? Or maybe uh, there's another contract that the Jets could throw back their way to help out their cap situation. But that's just, I, I, I don't know. I'm probably out on a limb on this one, but I've liked Colin Miller's game. He's a little bit bigger than Brandon Montour as well. He's got an absolute bomb of a shot on top of it. I just, I don't know. I just think watching him, I think I think his game and Josh Morrissey's game could complement each other pretty nicely here. But I do fully understand that with an extra year on his contract, it's, it, it might be impossible. It's certainly going to be tricky. But... I do think that there is a ton of value in grabbing guys from train wreck situations like we're seeing in Buffalo right now. And they're almost given second life, right? Like they're just given a new lease on life. And you see them just come out firing on all cylinders. Their play really reaches another level because they're revitalized, really. They're in a situation where their hockey lives are, are back on track. So that's why I, I don't mind taking chances on guys in situations like that and I think Montour is the easy one here but even Colin Miller you know I, I do wonder if there's something to be had there and and we know Kevin Chevalier has has made a couple deals in the past with the Buffalo Sabres so those two are something to keep an eye on if both Ekholm and Savard either aren't traded or they go elsewhere after that though I don't know there's not really a whole lot of intrigue for me with some of the other names out there maybe Dmitry Kulikov Maybe he's actually had a pretty good season with the New Jersey Devils, but I don't know. At that point, may, maybe you just pick up a depth defenseman and you go with who you have. You know what I mean? I'm just I'm not I'm not sold on the rest of the options out there being something that would be a huge upgrade in terms of giving up assets for the Jets. At that point, I mean, I would be way more inclined to give Billy Hainala a legitimate chance and and some games down the stretch here to see what he's got. It doesn't look like the Jets are going to go down that road. But Ken Weeb of Sportsnet said it best in his latest article that the Jets are going for a, what, what was the exact wording that was used? A, a big name, that's what it was, a big name defenseman, a high profile defenseman. There we go. I got that one right, Kenny. That's who they're going to go after here. So that's why I still expect it's going to be an Ekholm or a Savard that's coming here to Winnipeg. I don't think there's going to be a lot of you know, bargain buying for Kevin Chevalier off there. I do think there's going to be another forward that's picked up, and we'll touch on that Friday as well. 
who up front could be a potential target for the Winnipeg Jets because, as we've seen, Kevin Sheveldayoff doesn't make just one deal. He makes multiple deals, and he's done so at basically every single trade deadline that he's been GM of the Winnipeg Jets. So either way, we're getting close to crunch time, baby. It's fun. I'm jacked up. I'm excited. This is what I'm most looking forward to, actually, because it feels like we're in a bit of limbo here with the Winnipeg Jets where they have a playoff spot sewn up, but they don't really know what position they're going to be in. I'm just intrigued to see when or if somebody comes on board here, how that affects the entire team, how the lineup switches, all that stuff. Really, really exciting times, and we're finally going to get some answers in the coming days here. Basically a week away, we're going to know what the Jets look like heading into, hopefully, a deep and a long playoff push. But that does it for today's episode. We're back on Friday, guys, getting into the first of a two-game set in Montreal Big series. I said it earlier. A sneaky big series for the Jets. The Habs have a ton of games in hand, and they can close some ground on Winnipeg here. A huge opportunity for both teams. If Montreal picks up, I mean, if they pick up all four points, all of a sudden the Jets are in danger of finishing either third or fourth in the division and and losing out on a potential home ice advantage. So a, a really important series for both clubs here and Montreal coming in hot too how about that Eric Stahl his first game with the Habs picking up the OT winner so we'll break down the first of that one that's on Thursday night and we've got a great food interview coming your way as well on tab it's going to be a really exciting couple of weeks here on the plates portion of the podcast we've got Jamaican coming up we've got desserts a couple other fun things coming your way as well some cooking competitions all that is on tap And this next one will not disappoint. I promise you that. So make sure you tune in. I know you guys love your food here in Winnipeg. And there's an absolute beauty interview coming up on Friday. Until then, we'll talk to you at the end of the work week. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace.